these words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Ask, seek, knock. These are iconic words of Jesus. What do they mean? What are they talking about? And what difference will this teaching make in our lives? We're going to dig in kind of right away here together and consider the meaning of these words from a few different perspectives. Here's the first point that I want to suggest about this stuff, about asking and seeking and knocking. First of all, these three commands, ask, seek, and knock, they point us toward God's provision. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Have you ever been in that frustrating situation of being expected to do a job that you did not have the necessary tools for? Have you ever been in that frustrating situation of attempting a job without the necessary tools or without the necessary power to do what you're trying to do? Um, Maybe I've shared before that we have a kid's storybook in our house called The Big Red Tractor. It's a funny little kid's story. And I know we have some kids here today because we're on break from our normal kid's class. So maybe this is... Maybe this is especially for the grade school kids, but in this story about the big red tractor, it's about a village of farmers who love their big red tractor. And every spring, they go out together and they line up in a row with a rope and they pull their big red tractor across their fields in order to plow the dirt. Now, kids, I know that you're not supposed to pull a tractor. And I know that you know that you're not supposed to pull a tractor. It's supposed to drive itself. But that's what makes the story interesting. So let's just pretend for a minute, all right? So they get out there every spring and they pull their tractor with all of their energy. And they plow the field very slowly. And they plant and things grow. And then every fall they go out there in order to harvest. And they pull their tractor across the field. And and they love the good fruit that grows in their fields. You know, like blueberries. Yay. And strawberries. Yeah. Sweet corn. What else do we want to grow? Jalapenos. That's what I would want to grow. Maybe not for the kids story. Um, But they're out there and and they love the good fruit that grows in their fields and they love the big red tractor. But the turning point in this kids storybook comes when one of the village farmers discovers the instruction manual for the tractor. And believe it or not, they realize that they're not supposed to pull the tractor. They're supposed to turn on the tractor and let the fuel and the engine drive the tractor all by itself. And you can kind of see where the story goes from here, right? Everybody is very happy. Uh, there is much more good fruit, more strawberries, more blueberries, more sweet corn, more jalapenos to go around for everybody. In fact, they have 
such an abundant harvest once they start using the big red tractor the way that it's supposed to be used when they're not relying on their own strength to pull the big red tractor, we might say. When they're letting the big red tractor do what it's supposed to do by its power instead of trying to do it by themselves, they find that they not only have enough fruit, good fruit to go around in their village, but they have enough to share with others in need and to spread around the world, right? Now, now here's the connection point that, that kind of ministers to my heart when we read the story about the big red tractor is this is kind of a picture of what our lives are like apart from the Lord's provision of power, right? We hear the Lord's commands and directions for our lives And like trying to do a job without the right tools or like trying to do a task without the necessary power plugged in, we find ourselves just trying to muscle things out one inch at a time when there is so much more power available if we'll only open the instruction book and access the power that is provided, right? I mean, I wonder if some of you know all too well what it feels like to try to accomplish all that Jesus commands in the Sermon on the Mount by your own muscle. Jesus has some beautiful commands here in the Sermon on the Mount. As we've been listening our way through this sermon throughout the summer, we've heard Jesus' commands uh, about anger. But do you know what it feels like to try to overcome anger by yourself? It feels kind of like trying to pull a tractor through the mud with your own muscle. It's exhausting. And the Sermon on the Mount has great things to say about overcoming lust in our lives. But do you know what it feels like to try to overcome lust simply by making more resolutions and more rules for yourself? It feels a lot like trying to pull a tractor through the mud. Sermon on the Mount has great things to say, but do you know what it feels like to keep on prioritizing your marriage only so that you don't disappoint family members and get a divorce? It feels like trying to drag a tractor through the mud. Do you know what it's like to try to love your enemy? Do you know what it's like to try to pray for those who persecute you just by telling yourself it would be the right thing to do? It's kind of like trying to pull a tractor through the mud. It seems like a good goal. It seems like the fruit at the end will be good, but it's an awful lot of work and it's awfully slow in coming and it seems like we're doomed to fail, right? But listen... I wonder how many of us get frustrated in the process of trying to obey Jesus' commands because we're trying to follow what He commands without relying on the power that He promises. And so we see the promise of good fruit, not blueberries and strawberries and sweet corn, but love, even love for enemies. And peace that's different than the anxiety of the world around us. And patience 
and kindness and goodness and gentleness. And we think that's fruit that I'd like to see abounding in my life. But how do I get there? In a way that doesn't just feel like dragging a tractor through the mud. You see, as best as I can tell, that's why this passage is here where it is in the Sermon on the Mount. It does teach us about praying. When you hear this passage read out loud, as it was just read out loud, probably most of us make a connection. Jesus is teaching us about praying. That's right. But praying about what? It's interesting that Jesus has already addressed prayer earlier in the Sermon on the Mount when he gave us the Lord's Prayer. And he gave us some other teachings about praying. And sometimes if we read the Sermon on the Mount from beginning to end, it can feel like Jesus did one teaching on prayer and now he's getting kind of close to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's almost like, oops, I have another good bit on prayer. Would you like to hear that one too? I forgot to stick that in earlier. But I think Jesus is doing something more intentional here with his teaching about asking and seeking and knocking. He's not just saying, oops, I've got more stuff I'd like to teach you about the general category of prayer. No, Jesus has taught us carefully what it looks like to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. With love for other people, with peace in our hearts, with purity of life. He's taught us what this looks like. And all of us, as we're listening to his teaching on love and purity and peace, and we're saying that fruit sounds good, but I lack that fruit in my life. Where is that fruit going to come from? And Jesus, knowing us and Jesus, knowing the kingdom of heaven, explains that this is how fruit is born in the kingdom of heaven. Not just by powering through self-progress by our own strength, but by asking and seeking and knocking. By crying out to God for the very things that we lack in our lives that Jesus has been teaching about. So let me put this very simply for the sake of kids who are here with us today. When Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you and seek and you will find and knock and it will be opened. Jesus is teaching us that when we want the fruit of the spirit to grow in our lives, we need to live with dependence. We need to be farmers who do this, not just by our own strength but by the strength of someone who is far more powerful than we are. Jesus is teaching us that if we want to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, it will require asking God for help. So this is the first thing that I want to point out for us, that these teachings about asking and seeking and knocking, these commands point us toward God's provision. You see, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not only giving us great commands, he is also promising us great provision. He's not only pointing us in a good direction, he's also pointing us to a good Father who will empower us as we go in that direction. 
He's not only showing us the pathway forward, He's telling us about the power that will keep us going in that, in that pathway. Ask, seek, and knock. These commands point us toward God's provision for our weakness and for our needs. Ask, and it will be given to you, Jesus says. The second thing we should notice is that these commands also put us in the middle of a story. The verbs are emphasized in this teaching of Jesus. Now, I said that slowly because I know some of you are like, it's summer break, go easy on the grammar terms, all right? So asking and seeking and knocking, these verbs are what are emphasized in these verses. And they may even suggest a certain kind of progression from asking to seeking to knocking. Um, My uh, preschool-aged daughter just gave me a picture of this. Uh, a couple minutes ago, I was going to try to draw a picture for you another way, but this is even better. Um, while we were singing, my preschool-aged daughter came over and asked if I would pick her up. And I didn't not do it on purpose to make a sermon illustration, but she's over here just kind of gently kind of tapping on my arm, and I'm over there, and I, I'm just going to tell you honestly, like, I'm just a little tired, I'm a little hot, I'm a little thirsty, and so I'm like, I don't want the you know preschooler draped over my shoulder. So I just waited a little bit, right? What does a preschooler do next if they ask and they don't find, when they don't hear the answer they're looking for? They seek after it. She starts tugging on my shirt. And what happens if the tugging doesn't deliver? You get knocking on the belly, right? And Jesus is teaching us to have faith like a preschooler. Faith like a preschooler who will ask for what she needs. And if she doesn't get an immediate answer, she seeks for what she's looking for. And if she seeks and doesn't get it, she'll just start knocking until she gets what she knows she needs and what she knows her Father can offer. Right? And Jesus is calling us as His disciples in the pathway of following Him in discipleship. In that journey of becoming more like Jesus, He is challenging us to live with faith like preschoolers. Not just trying to drag the tractor through the mud on our own, But when we run into people that we find really difficult to deal with, and we hear that teaching ringing in our ears because the Spirit of God is bringing conviction to our hearts, Jesus is saying, don't just tell yourself it's the right thing to do to act kind of nice. Jesus is teaching us, cry out. Ask for the Father to help you in loving them. And if it feels like the answer isn't there, seek it. And if you're not finding it, start knocking on the door of heaven. It's interesting, these verbs that are emphasized and that happen in kind of this escalating sequence, they're also all ongoing verbs. Ask. It's a present tense verb and... In the original language that the New Testament was written in, we would say that present tense verb has an ongoing aspect to it. In other words, it could be translated, keep on asking. Do you know what you do if you find that person is really difficult to deal with? And you've asked for help, 
and it feels like they're still difficult to deal with, you know what we're called to do? Keep on asking, Jesus says. And that verb seek, it's in the present tense with that ongoing aspect to it. And so it doesn't just mean seek once and if you don't find it, you're welcome to give up. It means keep on seeking. You've sought out the help that you need for purity of heart and it feels like there are still temptations right in front of you today. Keep on seeking. And knock is in the present tense with that ongoing aspect. Keep on knocking. When you're calling out to God and you're saying, I need help if I'm going to honor you in the way I'm living my life. And it feels like it still is really challenging. And you say, I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed. And I am very aware there are some people here today who will hear a teaching about prayer as it relates to growing in Christ likeness. And some of us will say, this feels hurtful because don't you know I did pray about this. You know what? Unfortunately, sometimes I'm just going to admit on behalf of every Christian group I've ever been a part of. Sometimes as Christians, we use prayer as a pat answer. And that's not right. It's just kind of like, you know, I'm really struggling with this. Did you pray? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't pray enough. You know, I did pray. You didn't pray hard enough. Yeah, I tried praying harder. Well, you didn't pray the right way. And it comes, you know, we almost start to picture Jesus as if he's making up excuses for why he's not giving us the things that we've asked for. And we as a church family can sometimes wrongly represent the heart of Jesus. But listen, if that's you and you've been in that place where you're like, I have prayed and I'm still struggling. Now what? Listen, here's what I want to tell you. Jesus gets you. Jesus has got you. Jesus knows you. Jesus knows about that struggle. And so when Jesus calls us to apply his teachings about what it looks like to live as a, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, he doesn't just say, try knocking once. Jesus gets it and he says, knock and keep on knocking. You see, asking God for help, living in dependence, is not just a key that unlocks the door and then we're good to go on our own once we've walked through that doorway. Asking God for help is more like breathing for the Christian than it is like unlocking a door. You unlock a door, you walk through, and you're done with it. Breathing is how we live. And in the Christian life, asking is more like breathing than it is like unlocking a door. In other words, when Jesus says, I've described for you what it's going to look like to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And I'm challenging you that in order to do that, you're going to need to keep on asking and you're going to need to keep on seeking and you're going to need to keep on knocking. He's not saying maybe eventually the door will be open and you'll be done. He's saying keep on breathing. Because that's where life is found. Keep on breathing. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. That's how the Christian life works, Jesus says. In other words, Jesus puts us in the middle of a story. 
a story that's not yet complete. He puts us in the middle of a story that means if you're following Jesus, you've asked him for stuff in the past. But if you're following Jesus, you're still asking him for things in the present. And if you're following Jesus, you're still going to be asking him for things in the future. Jesus puts our lives in the middle of a story. And when we live our lives in the middle of Jesus's story, it actually has a profound way of kind of changing everything. Uh, There's a slide that I want to put up on the screen. Do you have that image available, Zach? There's a slide that I want to put up here that's a a little chart that I got from um, someone named Paul Miller in a book called A Praying Life. Do you have that? No? Okay, that's okay. Um, So uh, in in his book called A Praying Life, Paul Miller has uh, has this description of the difference between living uh, without a wider story and living within God's story. And he describes some of the difference like this, if I can find it. (laughs) He says, when we live without a wider story that we're a part of, what happens is we become bitter. But when we live within God's story, we become people who are content with waiting. Because it's not all about right now. When we live with no story, we tend toward anger. When we live within Jesus' story, we live with an attitude of watching for what Jesus is going to be doing next. When we live without a wider story, we find ourselves cynical. What difference does it make? I prayed yesterday and I'm still praying today. But when we live within Jesus' story, we find ourselves persevering in prayer. Of course I still have to pray today. This is the oxygen that Jesus told me I'd need every day. When we live with no wider story, we find ourselves controlling as opposed to submitting to the will of God. We find ourselves hopeless as opposed to hopeful. We find ourselves thankless as opposed to thankful. We find ourselves blaming others instead of taking responsibility and repenting of our own sin. Do you hear the difference that there is between when we live our lives as if it's all right now? Or if we're living our lives in the middle of this wider story that Jesus has invited us into. A wider story that involves praying yesterday and still praying today and continuing to pray tomorrow as Jesus was at work yesterday and is still at work today and will still be at work tomorrow. When we live our lives as disciples within Jesus' story, we find ourselves persevering in prayer. Instead of using prayer as just kind of this genie in a bottle thing, and if I don't get what I want, I walk away jaded and cynical and angry. When we find ourselves living within Jesus' story, we find ourselves bearing fruit in this process of walking day by day, little by little, bit by bit, along with Jesus. Ask. Keep on asking. Seek. Keep on seeking. Knock. Keep on knocking. These commands are oxygen for disciples. 
And these directions put us in the middle of a story that keeps on going. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, let me encourage you with the words of Jesus. Ask and keep on asking. This is how we roll. That's the second thing that we see here. These words, these directions, these commands to ask and seek and knock, they point us toward God's provision. They put us in the middle of an ongoing story. And these commands, maybe most importantly, they direct us to the heart of the Father. They direct us to the heart of the Father Himself. Maybe a few words here from Bible scholar D.A. Carson will be a little bit helpful here. He points out the difference that our views of our Father make in our lives. D.A. Carson explains the child with a gentle, kind, and firm Father does not fear to ask Him for things. But deep down, he enjoys the assurance that his father will not give him something which greater wisdom and experience assesses as not in the child's best interests. On the other hand, the child with the extravagant but thoughtless father approaches him with arrogance and lays down his next demand. And still on the other hand, the child with the stingy and ill-tempered and abusive father will seldom ask for anything, fearing another meaningless beating. Now if we take some of these descriptions of how our view of our Father in heaven might affect the way that we pray, let me reverse engineer this for a second And let me invite you to consider, what does your prayer life suggest you believe about the Father's heart? If we seldom pray, we probably believe that our Father is distant and or incapable of helping and or doesn't give a rip. If we pray only with demands for what I want, perhaps we believe that our Father in heaven is less wise than we are. Less discerning, less insightful, less aware of the whole picture. What do your habits of prayer suggest about what you believe about God? See, if we're going to be people who persevere in discipleship, then we need Jesus to introduce us to a Father who loves to give good. Let me say that again. If we're going to be people who follow Jesus in the pathway of discipleship, then we need Jesus to introduce us to a Father who loves to give good. A Father who loves to give good gifts. 
to those who ask. I wonder, do you know that about your father? Not just kind of in a check it off the box kind of way. Like if most of us got the true or false theology test, is God good? Sure. (laughs) But does that sure sink down any deeper than that to a certainty in our hearts that leads us to keep asking and keep tugging on his shirt and keep knocking Even though we asked yesterday and we're still asking today and Jesus expects we're going to keep on needing to ask tomorrow. Do you believe that God is good? And that he loves to give good gifts to those who ask in such a way that it leads you to ask and then to keep on asking? To seek and to keep on seeking, to knock and to keep on knocking? The prophet Isaiah, so many generations ago, understood the heart of God. And the prophet Isaiah said to the people of God, Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Now, if the parents that Isaiah has in view are like me, the unfortunate fact is sometimes we do forget. Um, can I share one of my embarrassing moments with y'all? So one time when we had little kids, we were on a trip together as a family, and Katie and I were in different cars going where we were going. It was a different place, and I'm pretty good in new cities and new places and new parking structures. This one was a little stressful finding our way and keeping track of where the other car was and everything. And, you know, we had the baby in one of these you know, things like this where you lug the baby around with you and you click the baby into the car seat. And we navigated our way into this parking structure and got out. I got everybody else out of the car and I went and found the elevator. I went up a couple levels. I found Katie and the rest of the family that she was with. And um, and I think I had my hands in my pocket like this. And Katie said, where's the baby? And I realized I didn't have the baby (laughs) with me. I, like, I left my baby, you know, 40 feet under the ground in the parking structure back in the locked car. It wasn't because, I'm an idiot, I know, you all can judge me if you want, you'd be, like, Jesus says judge not, but you can make accurate judgments, right? Like, that's, that's a full-on idiot move on my part, right? That's not because I don't love my kids, it's just because I'm an idiot. Here's what the prophet Isaiah says, though. Um, here's, here's what the prophet Isaiah says. He says, can a, can an idiot like Josh forget a nursing age child? And then the prophet Isaiah goes on and says, even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. You know how unlikely it is that your mom will forget about you? Like your mom or your dad might be a little bit of an idiot like me, and I don't want to make too light of it. Maybe your mom or dad was much worse than that. The Bible doesn't make believe that every mom and dad is perfect. But most of us have a mom who would never forget us. And even if you have an idiot dad who might leave you in the car for a few minutes, His heart is absolutely going to sink and he's going to go running down that stairway as soon as he realizes it. 
And God uses this analogy of a father's heart for his kid left behind in the car. And he says, can a woman forget her nursing child? Even these may forget. Yet God says, I will not forget you. This is a picture of the heart of our father who is in heaven. With all of the authority and all of the power that goes with not only being a father, but a heavenly father. And as the prophet Isaiah would say another time, why do you say my way is hidden from the Lord? He knows. He loves you. He has not forgotten you. And with all of the love of a father who would go dashing down the stairs to find his son in a moment of need, even though he would never forget, with all of that love in his heart, Jesus says, do you know what's going to empower you to bear good fruit in your life, to even love people who are really difficult to love, to find purity of heart, that peace that seems so elusive? Do you know what empowers that? What empowers that is knowing the heart of your Father who loves, who loves to give good, good gifts to those who ask. You see, when we come to believe in Jesus Christ and all of the redeeming work that He has done, what we find is that we have a whole new status by faith in Jesus, not just as distant servants, but as beloved sons and daughters who belong in the middle of the family photograph sitting on His lap. And Jesus says to us in our moments of struggle, in our moments of hardship, Jesus says to us, when it feels impossible to take another step of faith, when it feels impossible to take another step in the direction of following me, here's what I want you to do, Jesus says. Ask and keep on asking. Why? Because I brought you into the family of the Father who loves to give good gifts to those who ask. Here in this context, this teaching of Jesus refers to it refers to living as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus used this same kind of teaching in other situations. Like most traveling teachers, he probably has illustrations he likes to use to get home points in different places and in different times and in different ways. Another time when he used many of these same words, the point that Jesus was getting across is that the Father loves to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And sometimes we make a great division between these two things. There's the gift of the Holy Spirit over here, and there's the the gift of living our lives with the ethics of those who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Listen, I don't think these two things are nearly as different as we like to think. Jesus says your Father loves to give good. 
And that means he loves to give his very presence, his very personal, empowering presence to his children. And what does that personal, empowering presence of his spirit alive and at work within us do? Among many other things, that empowering presence of his own spirit living within us empowers us to keep on taking steps of obedience to keep on following, to take that next step that, that even might feel almost impossible to keep on loving someone who feels like an enemy, to keep on praying for someone who persecutes you, to keep on prioritizing purity, to keep on prioritizing your marriage, to keep on prioritizing honesty even when it's costly and it seems like there's a shortcut to the other side of that. To keep on loving others to keep on storing up treasures in heaven rather than on earth where moth and rust destroys, to keep on living our lives free from the kinds of anxiety that the world lives with while it's chasing after money and wealth and clothes and popularity and possessions. What is it that empowers all of that? It's the Father's good gift of His very own presence through His Spirit living within us day by day. That's what empowers us to keep on going in this path of following Jesus. See, these commands that these commands that call us into a pathway of following Jesus, and these commands that call us to find our lives in the middle of a wider story, these commands ultimately direct us not just to what we're supposed to do, they direct us to the Father Himself. Prayer is not just a task to add. It's a person to meet, if you will. Not that praying is a person, but praying is a way of communing with our tri-personal gods, our profoundly personal deity. It's a way of meeting Him. And so as Jesus leads us through the Sermon on the Mount and calls us to live our lives in this new and different kind of direction, He's calling us to do so in relationship with, with His Father, with His Spirit, and with Him. See, Christian discipleship requires asking, and it requires seeking, and it requires knocking. But listen, it requires these things in the context of an ongoing relationship with with the Father who loves to give good gifts to those who ask. And if that's true, which Jesus taught us and Jesus shed His own blood to secure the reality of, if that's true, what are we going to do about this? Let's be people who today... Tomorrow, and throughout this week and throughout this journey, even though we know we were praying desperately for His help yesterday, just like breathing is the ongoing experience of life, so let's make asking God for His help in daily dependence our way of living in the kingdom of heaven. Let's ask and seek and knock. 
Keep on asking and seeking and knocking. Why? Because to those who ask, it will be given. And to those who seek, you will find. And to those who keep on knocking, it will be opened. Day after day, we'll keep on asking and we'll keep on seeking and we'll keep on knocking because this is our experience of oxygen, of life on earth. Until that day when we see Him face to face. And we'll know His righteousness not just as something that we keep on pursuing, but we'll know it as our possession fully with Him forever. And in that day, our testimony will not be, look at how far I got myself. No, in that day, our testimony will be, I asked, and he gave it. I saw it, and he kept on revealing. And I knocked, and he opened the way for me, the whole way. Not just one doorway once in a while for one special breakthrough. No, our testimony on that day will be, I asked. And he answered. At this time, I'd like to invite those who will serve the elements of the Lord's Supper to come forward.